left fielders. Welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Our community is focused on networking and education to help people invest passively and think differently. Let's go. The big one that a lot of people don't realize is a moneymaker or what we call content or affiliate sites. So you're getting ready to go on a big trip or have a newborn or something, top 10 waffle makers, top 10 travel backpacks, and you go read on this blog. Well, when you click, the person that wrote that will get a commission on an affiliate for that click. Hey, left fielders, this is Julian McClurkin. When I'm not on the court with the Harlem Globetrotters, I'm the chief storyteller for Tribe Vest. Now, you might be thinking, why would Tribe Vest hire a Globetrotter? <laughs> well, through my travels around the world, I've met so many amazing people and heard their incredible stories. And it's no different at Tribe Vest. My job is to share the stories of people investing together as a group, as a tribe. TribeVest allows groups to pool their capital, set up their LLCs and bank accounts, help with operating agreements, funding rounds, and so much more. Whether you're investing with other dads from your kid's preschool class or getting into real estate syndications with people around the country like LFI infielder Brian Pawnell, TribeVest helps them all make it happen. If you want to hear more about stories about TribeVest's customers, just check out TribeVest's YouTube channel. And if you're already ready to start investing as a group, head on over to TribeVest.com today. You are listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast, powered by TribeVest. The mission of Left Field Investors is to build a community of like-minded individuals interested in creating financial freedom through passively investing in real assets that generate real cash flow. In this podcast, Jim Piper will interview passive investors, syndicators, and others who will share their journey with a focus on helping the passive real estate investor learn and become part of the Left Field community. This is Brian Burke from Praxis Capital, and you are listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. I'm excited today to have Kyle Kudareski with us. He is the operation manager at Web Street, formerly known as Empire Flippers. They make online businesses more a more accessible asset class by matching individual investors with established online business portfolio managers enabling them to passively own successful internet businesses, including content, FBA, and SAAS sites. I am excited to learn more about that because that is a little bit confusing to read, but Kyle is here and he's going to explain all of it to us. So Kyle, welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Hey, Jim. Thanks for having me. Got pretty familiar with your community and excited to jump into it today. Awesome. And our first question is kind of your journey. Usually I ask this question, how did you get into real estate? You're not really into real estate. You're into real estate on the internet, I guess. So how did you get into these online businesses and kind of just explain your journey to get where you are today? Yeah, perfect. And real estate on the internet is a good way to put it. Just a little bit about me. I'm engineer, went to engineering school, got into corporate America engineering role. I like to say formerly basically transformed from an engineer to an investor. So on a personal level, I got into real estate investing as well, still do some real estate investing. And then I just like a lot of your community was wanting to continue to get more and more passive. And I learned about the high upside that online businesses and digital assets can bring. And that's how I got to learn about Empire Flippers and kind of went in on that journey, became an employee, have worked for them for a few years now, and now an ops manager for the part of the business that does investing. So 
investing completely passively into online businesses. So that was my journey. Basically looked into it on a personal level, saw the huge upside, kind of became passionate about it. And now I'm doing it for a living. Awesome. Well, we'll get into the huge upside because that's something obviously we're very interested in. But I know that you recently changed the name from Empire Flippers to Web Street. Can you just talk about why you changed the name and if that impacts the business at all? Yeah. So I think it's a really important thing to distinguish. So Empire Flippers has been around for about a decade and is really just a brokerage or a marketplace for people that want to buy or sell online businesses. So Jim builds a business, an Amazon business, a content site, decides he wants to sell it, do something different. He would go to Empire Flippers. They would bet it, list it, sell it, and then migrate it to say me or somebody that wanted to buy it. Right. So that's still going on. But what we continued to hear for years and years was, hey, I don't really want to run those businesses. Can I give you guys $100,000, $200,000? You buy a business and run it for us, run it for me. Well, no, that's not really what we do. But after hearing that enough, we decided to make it a reality. So we started a division, basically a sister company called Empire Flippers Capital. That was about two years ago, and we can get into that journey. But Empire Flippers Capital recently changed names, rebranded. We've got a lot of traction now. And we needed to distinguish ourselves from the brokerage side of things. So we transitioned from Empire Flippers Capital to WebStreet. So WebStreet investing side, Empire Flippers marketplace and brokerage side. Okay. So I would like to step back. I don't know anything about this. And so when you talk about the two different sides, the side that is a WebStreet then is the passive side where I can invest in these online businesses. Can you talk about what are online businesses? Because everybody's online now. I assume these are fully online businesses. What do they do? And just kind of talk about how that is structured. And then we can talk about how we invest in it. Perfect. Yeah. So there's several different monetizations or business types of online businesses. Clearly, some of the most popular ones in recent times are Amazon FBA, fulfilled by Amazon. So those have grown enormously. Somebody develops a product, they ship it in to an Amazon warehouse, Amazon handles the rest from there, right? You go buy this gadget, it's at their warehouse, it gets shipped. And that's that. There's Amazon Kindle Direct Publishing, where you can publish books directly through Kindle. The big one that a lot of people don't realize is a moneymaker or what we call content or affiliate sites. So you're getting ready to go on a big trip or have a newborn or something, top 10 waffle makers, top 10 travel backpacks and you go read on this blog. Well, when you click, the person that wrote that will get a commission on an affiliate for that click, whether it sends them to Amazon or to another store to purchase it from. The same thing with display ads. If there's display ads on the site, that generates revenue. SaaS or SaaS, what you referenced at the beginning is software as a service. So a lot of these softwares that you subscribe to monthly, whether it's an upgraded inbox or an upgraded calendar or whatever the case is, a lot of these tools that you use on your computer or phone, that's considered software as a service. There's several others, but those are definitely the big ones. Let's talk about the first one, the Amazon. How does this work? I set up a store and then I sell it. I mean, because when I go to Amazon, I just go to Amazon and buy stuff, right? I can tell there's certain things that are from Amazon and certain things that maybe aren't, but I have a Prime account and they all they all show up the same way. So how do I, or how does somebody create that business? And then what makes it a business that is able to be sold? Yeah, great question. So in the early days of Amazon, it was a lot of the things that you were purchasing were more like an eBay type store, right? So you were purchasing it. Maybe I had my own warehouse. If it's my Amazon store, I have my own warehouse. And then I'm packaging, shipping it to you and just collecting the money from Amazon. Now with FBA, 
really all I'm doing is sourcing the product, paying for the storage in Amazon's warehouse, and they handle everything else. So it looks like it's coming from Amazon, and it is, but it's not a product that Amazon ever owns. It's something that the person who has the store has it maybe patented or they manufacture it, and then they have it delivered to their warehouses. What makes a good store could be a lot of different things. I mean, it can be the product, the niche, depending on what the time of year, is it seasonal, the competition. There's a myriad of factors that can determine what makes it a good Amazon store. But basically, those are the basics. How do you transfer ownership? I guess, what's the thing that sets it apart? Why wouldn't somebody, like, if somebody's just selling a product, why wouldn't, couldn't someone else just go and sell that same product and strike the same deal with Amazon? What makes this business transferable to a new owner? Yeah. So sometimes it's patent, but more often than not, if they're the first mover in that niche or in that type of product, they've already built up a bunch of reviews. They're at the top of the page. Maybe they've got the advertising part of it nailed down. They've done a bunch of different iterations. That's the type of thing that would make the business very attractive. And that's a, that's what you would want to look at as a buyer as well, right? So you want to look at the P&Ls. Are the growth, is the growth increasing uh, or the sales increasing or declining? Are there seasonalities that you want or don't want? Back to school type products, Christmas always can throw a lot of seasonality in there and things like that. So it's a lot of due diligence you would want to do as a buyer. And really that's why we came in as an investment platform to make it passive for people. And we can really find the best businesses and allow you to invest in them without needing the time or expertise. That's right up my alley. I don't want to use time or and I don't have any expertise. So tell me how I do this passively and how the whole thing works. And then we'll jump into asking questions about that because there's a lot of things that I'm not sure about vetting operators, vetting the businesses and all that. So talk, just give us the overview of, I'm a passive investor. I love real estate, but this is something different that I might want to jump in. What am I looking at? Got it. Yeah. And that's super common for us. Somebody, a lot of real estate investors that want to try something a little different. So basically what we do is we have a platform through webstreet.co and we vet the very best online business operators. We have a thorough vetting process where they apply and we decide whether they make the cut or not, whether we want to raise money for them, which really ties back to the Empire Flippers days, right? We have a huge network of people that have bought and sold with us for years. And we know who the top operators are. Once they go through a vetting process, we set them up in a fund, list them on our page. Investors can come check out their track record, check out the acquisition strategies, check out what their growth strategies are going to be and decide whether to invest in operator A, operator B, and you basically do it in a completely passive fractional manner. So if you think about some of these other platforms where you're doing fractional real estate like Fundrise or Yield Street, or some of these where you're doing art or doing wine, other fractional models, we're doing the exact same thing for online businesses. Okay. So I need to relate everything back to real estate syndications because that's where I spend most of my time so in a real estate syndication, I'm vetting the operator, right? I want to make sure I have a top quality operator who's going to manage the asset and make sure that everything goes to plan. And then that's the main part of my analysis. Then I do a little bit of analysis on the deal, right? I want to make sure that the actual deal the operator's putting me in is a good deal. So I know how to analyze that. So are you then, would WebStreet be kind of like the sponsor? And that's so my first thing is I have to figure out if you guys know what you're doing and then should I look at each company on your platform as the deal that I need to analyze? Is that a way to compare? Yeah, good question. So really you want to obviously do your due diligence on us as a company. We have a good track record today and you can look at our returns and we can get into all that. But you're actually investing in the operator or the portfolio manager. 
So at the time that you invest, he's going to say, I want to, let's just use round numbers. He wants to, his goal is to raise between one and $3 million to buy two or three Amazon sites. He's going to introduce new products. That's his growth strategy, plus a bit of advertising. He raises the money through us. Once that money is raised, he goes to the marketplace and purchases those businesses according to that criteria. So at the time you're investing, you don't know, hey, this is cats.com or this is whatever the exact name of the website is. You're investing in this operator based on his track record. Then he goes and purchases the websites. After he purchases them, you are informed as an investor, hey, these three businesses were acquired. And then he begins to grow them. And What's really cool about these businesses, you're not just waiting on them to appreciate. They're already cash flow positive businesses. So we as WebStreet, we make sure the businesses are within his acquisition criteria. We make sure they are businesses that we would believe in that we want to back as well. So we have veto power on that. And then once the businesses are purchased, you get quarterly cash distributions on the profits. So the profits each quarter are paid out. And then of course, at the time of the sale, the businesses as well, they're paid out. Okay. What's a portfolio manager then? So j- just so I understand this. So it's an operator, really. That's just a term we kind of use. Okay. So it's somebody that operates all these businesses. And do they have a specific expertise as someone new to this? How do I vet then the operator to make sure that they know what they're doing and they have a good track record and all of that? Is, is that something that we get all that information? You do. Yes. And so we have what we call the fund page or the deal page. And you go and you read that. Okay. This person has, this operator has built eight different sites in Amazon based on the type of sites he built, whether they're Amazon or content or an app. He's had this much success. We actually do video interviews with the operator. So you get to hear a half hour interview with them, hear their expertise, and then decide whether you want to invest in them or not. Also, at this point, we've had several that have done repeat. They've grown multiple funds with us. And so you can see to date, they've returned this much to investors year to date. Each quarter, they're returning this percentage. And of course, there's no guarantees, but yes, their track records are very open. So that's how you can make those decisions. And how would someone like me who has no experience in this, how do I go in and look at an operator and how do I vet them? Because like you said, I'm not going to know the actual business they're investing in. I assume I will know the type and get some descriptions like, this is certain Amazon business that sells this kind of product. They just don't give you the name because they don't want competition on it, I assume. Is that what's happening? That's correct. And as an investor, you wouldn't want their things to be public for competition reasons, right? There is a bit of a trust factor there. What we're, The information we're putting out there has all been thoroughly vetted, background checks and all the whole deal. But you as an investor, we have different varying degrees of investors. We have some that are very interested in only a certain type of business, right? So they might only invest in those. And then we have some that each round, which might have three or four different operators in it, they choose our invest in all feature. They'll split $60,000 across four different operators, and then they just collect their monthly distributions and are pretty hands-off. So there's different levels, I guess, of passive. But for somebody that wanted to really do their due diligence, you would want to dig into their track record. If they're a repeat operator, you can see their percentages. You would really want to read their deal page and get familiar with the criteria, both their past and future criteria. You want to watch the operator interview, which goes really in there typically 25 to 35 minutes of the operator going through all of the details. So these portfolio managers, they come to you and they say, hey, I'm looking to buy these businesses. You provide them with the money to go buy these businesses, and then they go and buy them, and then they operate them. 
And do they sell them later? Is the goal to turn them into permanent cash flowing businesses or is this like a flipping kind of deal? Yeah. So the goal is to sell, grow the businesses and then sell them in the two to four year range. So yeah, the other thing I should have mentioned earlier is that these portfolio managers, they also put in 5% of their own money into the deal. So they don't get any salary, but they do put 5% of the total fund of their own cash in. So they have a lot of skin in the game on a $2 million fund. It's a significant amount of money going in. But yes, they do sell the businesses in the two two to four year range. You get the same profit split each quarter on profits and then on the exit of the business. And does Web Street invest as well? Do they put capital into these businesses? We do not invest as a company, but I guess we should go into the split a little bit. So as to make this as simple as possible, when you invest in the businesses as an investor, you get two thirds of the profit every quarter and in on the sale of the business. The one third is split between Web Street and the operators. So operators get 20% on the 5% they put in, and then we get the other gap. So investors get two thirds, us and the operators get one third with the operators being the majority of that. And that's monthly cash flow plus the exit. Plus the exit. It's split the same for all of it. That's exactly right. And if the operators don't make money, then we don't and nobody does. So it's not like they can pay first or anything like that. It's everybody wins or not. Aspen Funds has been a consistent supporter of left-field investors. You may have seen Bob Frazier on an LFI webinar or at our October meetup in the left field speaking on investable megatrends for the next decade. Whether you're an accredited investor interested in mortgage note funds with a 10-year track record or other macro-driven alternative investments such as industrial, oil and gas, multifamily or retail, the Aspen Funds team is keeping track of the economic trends and co-invests on every deal right alongside you. Meanwhile, you get to do what you love and make every moment count. Download their free economic report today at aspenfunds.us slash LFI. Hi, this is Zach Hapenstall, CEO and co-founder of Rise 48 Equity. At Rise 48, we've successfully purchased 38 different properties worth over $1.5 billion worth of real estate and gone full cycle and sold 11 different properties, drastically exceeding projections for our investors. If you're looking to invest with an experienced sponsor in either the Phoenix, Arizona, or Dallas, Texas markets, then we're the group for you. To learn more about investing with us, visit our website at rise48equity.com and set up a call with me. Thank you. What are some of the trends in these online businesses? And how do I know, as just a guy jumping in this for the first time, do I want to do one of those Amazon, I forget what you said, FBA? Do I want to do Kindle books? How do I decide what I want to do in this space? Yeah. While we always encourage due diligence, we also encourage diversification. I mean, we don't want somebody throwing a dart at a dartboard unless you have a, unless it's an educated decision and you really feel strongly about it. With that being said, really has to do with times and the economy. So during COVID, the fulfilled by Amazon businesses grew like crazy. I mean, nobody was going out. Everybody was ordering through Amazon. If you feel strongly that Amazon businesses are going to continue to grow, that's probably a good way to go. Kindle Direct Publishing, some people that may have knowledge of the industry, there's a ton of upside in the Kindle marketplace and there's lower competition level. So if you think that Amazon's getting too competitive, maybe Kindle's a good one for you. Content sites where where they're blogs and other affiliate type sites, those have been around 
for a long time and they're pretty stable. Their trends are not as linked to the marketplace as an Amazon site. What are some examples of content sites? Jewelry site, anything you're trying to go research and purchase. So like if you're trying to purchase jewelry, if you're trying to purchase travel gear, if you're trying to purchase kitchen appliances are common ones. Anywhere where they're educating you, it could be in a blog format, could be in top 10 format. And it's helping you make a buying decision, essentially. When you click the link to go make that purchase, that's where they get an affiliate commission. Is that like when you Google 10 best backpacks and you get top10bestreviews.com, they're just trying to make money on affiliate links, right? So are, do they, are those legit, maybe you don't know this, are those legitimate review sites like you're going to get good review information or do they just stack up? Is it they, the number one one is the one that pays the top affiliate fee and they go down from there? Or is it impossible to know? Yeah, there's not a one size fits all answer there. Most of the time they're pretty legit or they won't rank too highly on when you Google it. Some of those enormous ones, what are some of the big review sites? These top10reviews.com and things like that. Those are going to be more geared toward your just corporate payouts. A lot of these that you can tell are more a bit more personal. They've actually tried the gear out. You can often tell by the way they're writing the review, right? If they're getting into the details and they know what they're talking about, it's a higher likelihood that they're legitimate. Yeah, depending on where they're sending you. They could send you to walmart.com, right? To purchase something that's probably not the top 10 backpack. But if they send you to better outdoorsy type site, chances are it's more legit. How much do those companies pay? I know you probably can't give an exact number, but like a ballpark, if I go on to a backpacking website, right? And they have a list of 10 backpacks and it sends me to REI and Amazon and Walmart and backcountry.com or whatever these, what kind of money are they making? Is it for each time someone clicks and goes to the site or is it each time someone clicks, goes to the site and buys something? And how much are those fees? Yeah, generally speaking, it can be either or both. So usually they have a model where they get paid for the click and it cookies that person that clicked it. And then if they purchase, they will get an additional commission. Sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes it's just for the click. Generally speaking, the larger the site they're sending you to, the smaller the commission. So if it's a Walmart or even an REI, they're not going to pay a ton for each click because they don't necessarily need your business. If it's a smaller one, a small niche jewelry site or something like that, it varies widely, but generally it's quite a small percentage. The articles need to be well-written. They need to be generating a lot of clicks for these sites to do well. Yeah, I, I know we're an affiliate for Amazon on some of the books that we recommend. And I think we make like $12 a month. Maybe we made $80 last year on it for left-field investors, but you might as well, right? So I was just curious about that. So how do you find these operators or portfolio managers? Or do you find the businesses first and then find who's operating it? Or do you find the operator? And how do you do all that? Yeah. So this really goes back to starting out as a sister company to Empire Flippers because Empire Flippers is such a big player in the online business space, in the brokerage space. I mean, they've sold over $400 million in online businesses, over 70 some sites that were worth a million plus. A lot of those online business operators are a part of the community. They've been either lawyer buyers, sellers, they go to these conferences. They're just in our industry. We have a good sense of that. We're a big part of several online business communities where we're always asking people to apply. We have a really thorough vetting process. It starts out with just a simple application. Then we have them go do basically fake due diligence where they go to the marketplace, find a business you would buy if you were an operator, bring it back to us, tell us, why do you like that site? What would you do to grow it? And I think we've had 14 funds so far. So 14 operators. I think there's been, I don't know, 800 plus applicants or something like that. So it's quite selective as it should be. 
but that's where we find them. The businesses, when we first started out, they were only buying from the Empire Flippers marketplace, which we knew was quality because of the vetting and the team that was in place there at EF. At this point, we've grown to where they are able to purchase from other brokerages, do off-market deals, which was always the plan. We know that you need more deal flow than just one brokerage. So that's where they're finding the businesses. Give me an example, right? So let's say fulfilled by Amazon, right? Let's say we buy one of those, just an average basic example. How much does it cost to buy it for the operator and thus for us investors? What's the average typical monthly cash flow? I know this is ballparking and you can't tell me exact. And then at exit, what's it worth? So if we buy it for hundred grand, are we selling it for a million or just the averages or basics to understand a little bit about the dollars we're talking about? Yeah. So I'll have to do some quick math, but I can think of one of our portfolio managers offhand who bought, he raised about, I think, $2.3 million and bought two Amazon businesses they were each around $800,000. So 1.6. That leftover capital is returned to investors, was, is worth noting. So we're never trying to force them to spend the money. If they don't find a deal they don't like, that the extra capital is, is returned to investors. But so two businesses, around 800000 each. That particular business, I think, or that particular fund is about a year and a half old. You know, I'll say around one investors, yeah, I'm going to have to do this backwards. Around one investors received 14.6% returns last year. So that means the businesses are growing. That means that those are quarterly profits. Now, a year or two from now, when he goes to sell the business, will it have continued to grow? Will it have slowed with the economy or what the case is? It's pretty hard to predict. But generally speaking, we're seeing these grow. $800,000 business might grow by 20 or 30% over the course of two or three years, something like that. It really varies case by case. I'd love to give concrete numbers. No, I get that. I get that. It's hard to figure this out because part of the issue is correct me if I'm wrong here, but, and this isn't necessarily a bad thing. I just want to understand what we're doing here is I'm going to go in to Web Street and I'm going to look at a bunch of different portfolio managers, right? And I'm going to pick this guy, Steve, right? He's going to be my portfolio manager. I will know that he's probably going after fulfilled by Amazon stuff, but I won't know exactly what. So I'm going to give him money and I'm going to trust that he knows what he's doing. And I'm going to end up buying businesses that I don't know ahead of time. That's fine. I just so we know what that model is. So we're really the thing that we're investing in is we're investing in Web Street, trusting that they're going to screen operators or portfolio managers effectively. And then once we go in there, so they're all pre-screened. Now we're going to go in and pick the one we think is going to be the most successful. And that person is going to go and invest in stuff that we're not going to know until after the deal is done. Is that accurate? Generally speaking, it is to be clear. I mean, we run, we're the fund managers. So we hold the funds. The person, the operator doesn't have any access to the funds. Once he decides, I want to buy business A, brings it to us. We say yes or no. You should negotiate it this way. And we would pay the buyer, make sure it's migrated. So generally speaking, from an investor standpoint, everything you said is correct, but we're doing all the fund admin. So there's no concerns around you're not actually giving this operator money without no. Okay. And part of this is just getting people like me comfortable because I'm used to investing in a single deal where I have a pro form and know exactly what they're going to do or a fund which has an idea or a history. And so this is similar to a fund, but it's a little bit more of a black box than a fund, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because if you gave me all the financials and told me everything about this business, I wouldn't know whether I should buy it or not anyway. I just want to be clear that we are relying on Web Street first, and then the portfolio manager second. And talk about passive, 
we're kind of blindly trusting those two entities after we've done our due diligence on those two. So I'm not trying to paint this in a negative light. I just want everyone to understand this is what it is. You either have to be okay with that or you go somewhere else. That's exactly right. And fund is a good way to think of it. I mean, we actually call them funds. So each one is a fund. These operators are portfolio managers. The other thing you'll learn as you do their due diligence is what their team looks like. Some of them have their own warehouses. Some of them have a team of writers that crank out these affiliate pages we're talking about. So they all have a team supporting them. And then the other part is where Web Street and this community of business operators, they all support each other, right? So we do quarterly masterminds. Hey, I'm struggling with this. What about this Google update? Or what about this shipping issue? And so we've, we have several cases where they've worked together to overcome things. So there's pluses and minuses, I guess, as you could say to the model. But yes, you're describing it correctly. And can you talk about the minimums and how this is taxed? Yeah. So minimums, they vary per round. Generally, they're around $20,000 per fund with some incentive to diversify across them. So right now, March of 2023, we have a round of deals open. It's got four funds in it. You could do a $60,000 investment, which will be split evenly between those four funds, or you could just pick any individual one at a minimum of 25000 So generally speaking, in that range, we're really close on a crowdfunding type model that we're going to test through as well for smaller amounts in a little bit lesser terms. But right now, that's where we're at. From a tax perspective, you get a K-1 each year as a partner in the LC and the fund, 15-year straight line depreciation. And of course, you're taxed on the distributions you get each quarter throughout the year. How is it taxed? I know you're not a tax advisor, so we'll put the caveat that this is not tax advice, but I'm surprised that there's depreciation because, well, I guess maybe they're owning buildings and warehouses and things like that. But through the K-1 then, are any depreciation benefits passed toward or to the investors? Yeah. So there, it's just depreciated just as if it was a hard asset. It's a business that is depreciated on a 15-year straight line. So there would be tax benefits. Again, we're used to real estate where you get these heavy tax benefits in year one. So we wouldn't get that big of a tax benefit. But it seems to me that probably in year one, you'd have enough tax benefit to offset maybe the cash flow from year one. Yes, that's correct. Depending if their distributions are enormous and they do really, if it explodes really quickly, it's going to be less, right? But year one, yes, generally there's not much, if any, of a tax burden because of the depreciation and smaller distributions at the beginning. That's great. And so how would you compare this to real estate? You said you're also a real estate investor. So is this something I should allocate 100% of my capital to? Or should I just dump a little bit in and keep doing my real estate? Are they related? Is one better than the other? Are they non-correlated? How would you kind of put those two together? Obviously, you want to continue to diversify. I don't recommend doing 100% in this. But a lot of people for many years didn't have this option, right? So they're doing 100% in real estate and not like you just hit on there's huge tax benefits, especially if you're owning your own or whether you're doing it passively or funds. I would encourage people to get educated on it. A lot of people don't realize that this is even an option. And when they start to dig in and learn more, if you look at the numbers behind how big the e-commerce industry is as a whole and Amazon is as a whole, I mean, if anybody thinks it's going anywhere... I would find that surprising. So why not get some exposure to it in a completely passive way? The other thing I would encourage people is you can do a smaller amount compared to real estate upfront. See what you think about the process. A lot of people like learning about the sites they're involved in, watching them grow, seeing the strategies the operators have. Along with those quarterly distributions I was talking about, the operators give quarterly reports where they say, hey, we tried this work, this didn't. So it depends what each person's interests are. A lot of people like that part of it. 
And I don't know where else to go with that. Definitely not 100% of anybody's allocations, but it's a nice way to do something other than real estate or other than stocks that is relatively uncorrelated. I mean, last year, our returns, like I said, were 15% cash distributions in a year where everybody knows the markets were not so hot. Right. So if I buy into one of these, I will eventually know what the name of the business is, right? And then if I wanted to buy something from them, I could be supporting myself. That's correct. And you tell your friends friends about it at the dinner parties. Yeah, I sent out an up acquisition update today, actually about an hour before this recording to some previous investors because we just completed another acquisition. So yes, you do learn the names, and which is kind of fun. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so the last question I usually ask is, I don't know if you're a podcast listener or not, but what's a great podcast that you like to listen to? Yeah, I am. I like a lot of them. I'll stay away from the big ones, I think. Let me throw two out real quick. So for those that are interested in online businesses and investing, this is an ours, it's old by Empire Flippers called the Opportunity Podcast. Really interesting, fun spin on things. And then on the real estate side of things that lines up exactly with what your audience does, there's one called Ice Cream with Investors which is all about passive real estate investing, self-storage, lines up with a lot of your audience's interests. So Ice Cream with Investors and the Opportunity Podcast. Excellent. Those are two new ones for me, which is always, always great because I listen to a ton of podcasts. So finally, if people want to get in touch with you and learn more about Web Street or this business model, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Perfect. Yeah. So I'll send you some links for the show notes with a, just a very basic interest form. Webstreet, one word, .co is our main page. My email is kyle at webstreet.co. Respond and read to every email. And of course, we're on all the socials as well, just Webstreet. And appreciate everybody listening. Appreciate you having me on. Excellent. This was fascinating. We really appreciate you being here. And we'll definitely check out those links and do a little more research on this because this is definitely something different than real estate, but something super exciting. So thanks, Kyle, for being on the show. Awesome. Thanks, Jim. One of our trusted partners, Ashcroft Capital, is currently accepting accredited investors into their Ashcroft Value Add Fund 2. Why should you invest in multifamily now? Let's talk about the elephant in the room. There's turmoil around the world, and we are in a very high inflationary environment. Naturally, that's a lot to digest, and it's on a lot of people's minds as to what this means for multifamily or how to interpret this kind of data and reasons to consider when deciding to invest. Ashcroft Capital has compiled a white paper of five reasons to consider investing in multifamily in 2022. To read it and to learn more about investing in multifamily real estate with Ashcroft's AVAF2, visit ashcroftcapital.com slash invest in 2022. That's ashcroftcapital.com slash invest in 2022. With inflation on the rise, private debt may provide the short-term hedge you're looking for. Spartan Investment Group identifies low-risk investment opportunities that offer predictable returns. The numbers speak for themselves. From 2018 to 2021, they grew revenue by over 3,500%. Their private debt boasts stable monthly payments and a short repayment horizon. And since it's backed by self-storage and a personal guarantee, you can invest with confidence. To learn more, visit spartan-investors.com. Well, that was certainly not your typical real estate syndication podcast. And it's nice to have these different types of podcasts every once in a while, just to give you something else to look at. I know this is an interesting asset class for me. I liked how Kyle started out. He was a real estate investor and wanted something more passive. He didn't find like like I did syndications right away, but instead he went and found these online businesses, which are really interesting. And it's something that all of us use 
but I don't know that many of us think about, hey, how could I own that business? And if I think of that, I certainly don't want to operate the business. I prefer to be an owner and have someone else manage my assets. And that's what these portfolio managers do. And that's kind of the operator. And so I liked how he explained everything. So I understand it a little bit better. And there's different versions, right? You can invest in the fund, which sounds like that's what you'd want to do right right out of the gates is just have three or four portfolio managers and invest in all of them. And then once you kind of get some expertise and get to know the individual portfolio managers, maybe that's when you go in with just one instead of the fund. But they also, it's kind of like added value, right? So the asset managers, they're going to grow the asset, manage the asset, and then sell it in two to four years. So it's similar to what we do with some of the multifamily deals that we look at. So I try to relate everything to real estate because that's what I spend most of my time doing. But this has a lot of parallels in there. And I liked at the end when Kyle said, you need to get educated and you need to diversify. Because sometimes on these podcasts, you have people that are on there that are marketing and selling pretty hard and they don't say, hey, go get educated first. They say, oh, invest with us, we'll show you how to do it. And I like that he's focusing on education. And then he also said, obviously, you don't want to put all of your assets into this type of investment. He was kind enough to acknowledge that diversification is a good idea. And so I just like it when people are transparent that they are looking out at least partially or hopefully a lot for the best interest of their investors. And Kyle certainly seemed seemed on that. So this is something I'm definitely going to look into a little bit. There are a lot of parallels to real estate and there's some pretty good cash flow and maybe some pretty good upside on this. So it's worth dipping a toe in and seeing what it's like. And perhaps we'll get Kyle on for a lunch and learn and share that knowledge with the whole community. So that's it for this time. We'll catch you next time in the left field. Thanks for hanging out in left field with us today. If you're interested in becoming a left fielder, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.leftfieldinvestors.com or you can send me an email, jim at leftfieldinvestors.com. Thank you for listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. If you enjoy the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review the show. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing said on the show should be considered financial advice. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Passive Investing from Left Field and Left Field Investors. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.